Radio 81 WEDO and TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the Executive Director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monioc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. And good morning and welcome once again to Radio 81, WEDO, and TubeCityOnline.com. A lot of folks in the Mon Valley perhaps don't realize, but th- what you're listening to right now, this radio station, might not be possible without some of the work that was done just over the hill in the Turtle Creek Valley at the Westinghouse Company, uh, the birthplace of broadcasting. Some people would call it uh, back in 1920 when a Westinghouse engineer by the name of Frank Conrad put what is arguably the first commercial broadcasting station on the air in the United States of America. We're not going to mention their call letters. Uh, We're here on WEDO in McKeesport. Our guest this morning on Radio 81 WEDO is the president of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. They are having their annual radio fest this Sunday, May 3rd, up in Manaka in Beaver County. And uh, good morning, Chris Wells. How are you? Good morning, Jason. I'm well. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about uh, what's happening this Sunday up there at the Center Stage Banquet Hall. Well, we do have meetings through the year as a club, but um, this is our big event. The Tri-State Radio Fest brings in people from Ohio, uh, Michigan, uh, New York, etc. And it's all a bunch of hobbyists. They're coming together to sell and trade items. Uh, we have uh, some displays. We'll be showing, uh, highlighting Atwater Kent radios as a contest where people who attend can bring a radio that's an Atwater Kent style and uh, put it up on display and have a chance at some uh, prizes. And then we have an auction in the afternoon, and so some of the items that are flea market that don't sell go there. And um, so it's a good time for us to exchange these items uh, of radio history and as part of our hobby. It's it's interesting to me that um, I, we talked off the air that I collect radios myself. I guess that's probably not a big surprise that a lot of people, I think, who uh, work in radio collect old radios themselves or are interested in the history of radio. Something that I think is interesting about the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society, and I think maybe it's uh, you, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, this is sort of a, a growing interest in broadcast radio, where there's been a lot of radio hobbies over the years that have to do with amateur radio, which is uh, two-way communication. This is folks who are interested in, in the, the sets that y- you might have sat around and, and listened to, whatever. Sure. Depending on your age, it might have been Amos and Andy, or it might have been uh, Clark Race or uh, Terry Lee or something. You know, there are a lot of hobbies where it's taking you back, taking you back to your childhood, taking you back in history. Uh, and a lot of members of, of our club, they, they, that's what they see when they, when they, when they interact with the radio. I, you know, I have these memories of going and seeing this amazing Grundig uh, shortwave radio at a friend's house, and we weren't supposed to touch it, but it was <laughs> magic. And it's that magic that we keep on looking for and keep on experiencing as we find these things that are up in people's attics and get them alive and working again. I have a feeling a lot of people uh, who maybe will hear this program will say, well, I've got an old radio. What do I do with it? Uh, tell us, first of all, uh, do you guys have a website? Yeah, uh, it's Pit Antique Radios. 
org. Okay. And you, you mentioned that uh, you do have meetings throughout the year. Where are your regular club meetings at? We normally meet in Brentwood. There's okay. a Presbyterian church there on Brown, uh, Brownsville Road. And uh, we do that uh, six to seven times a year. We'll often have a... Uh, a summer picnic at one of the, like, North Park, that sort of place. But this event coming up this Sunday, that's our big one, and we do that at the center stage, which is uh, adjacent to the Beaver Valley Mall. Okay. Which is not, it's, it's about an hour from uh, m most of our listeners uh, in the McKeesport area. Uh, it's not too far away. Yeah, and it's well worth it because this is our major event, and you'll see things that you wouldn't otherwise, if you were to go to a ham event, this is really focused on antique vintage radios, although there will be some ham gear, but vintage, you know, things that are from the past that have been brought back to life, or maybe a, a project, something for someone to start working on, and, and that's part of the hobby as well is restoration. So, so let, about how many members do you have uh, in the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society? We're 150 people. Wow. Um, and there are many clubs all throughout the United States. There are some really big clubs. Uh, Mid-Atlantic Antique Radio Club is about 1,000. Uh, they're on, in Baltimore area. Uh, there's one in Rochester. Antique Wireless Association is probably 2,000 members. Okay. T talk to me a little bit about you. Uh, whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in Mount Lebanon, and okay. my folks were from Michigan and took me back there. And then my job, I started working for Westinghouse as an electrical engineer, brought me back to Pittsburgh, and I've been living in and out of Pittsburgh for, oh, about the last 30 years. So really, a majority of my life has been in the Pittsburgh area, but uh, a lot of my time where I got used to radio station stuff was over in Lansing, Michigan. And, uh, yeah, I've got all these memories of working and having the radio on, and uh, that's what that was the, my main station there. We're talking with Chris Wells. He's the president of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. They're having their big, I believe this is your 11th annual show? Yeah, 11 years we've been doing this one. There were events before this, but as a Tri State Radio Fest, the way it's organized now, 11 years, yeah. Uh, that is on Sunday, May 3rd. It is up in Manaka in Beaver County at the Center Stage Banquet Hall near the Beaver Valley Mall. For more information, go to pittantiquradios.org. What is the attraction to saving an old radio? I, I have saved a couple of old radios. I have my grandparents, uh, both of their radios. One of them is a Westinghouse, and one of them is, I think, a Panasonic. And, and they were throwing them out because, well, who wants that old radio, they said. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's like a lot of hobbies. It takes you back. It takes you back to your childhood. It takes you back to that relationship you might have had with grandma and grandpa going to their house. But... You know, and it doesn't have to be someone like me who's an engineer. I I just love to see the design, you know, to understand what someone put into it to make it. And uh, and it's just amazing that it does what it does because, geez, you know, 10 years before uh, the radio first was being used in broadcast, they, they barely ha had tubes. Uh, they hardly even knew how they it worked, and then it just exploded. So there's... It's like magic inside to, to a lot of us in the hobby. Step back more than a couple of years. Let's step back about 100 years, actually. Uh, the American Radio Relay League uh, in, in 2006, uh, they, they marked what supposedly was the first uh, transmission of voice over the radio. This was actually over a telegraph station by someone from Pittsburgh, or with a Pittsburgh connection, a professor at what is now the University of Pittsburgh by the name of Reginald Fessenden, uh, broadcast music, supposedly, there, there's some dispute about this, but supposedly on Christmas Eve, uh, 1906, uh, to, to ships at sea on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, 
what did people first, going way back to that era, what was a radio? I mean, you mentioned that there weren't even vacuum tubes, which probably kids today, most kids today have never even seen a vacuum tube. What were people using for radios back then? Well, there's different, like, spark transmitters, and they would use this really broadband energy of an arc. You know, we've all, like, sparked a battery, whatever. Uh -huh. And they would harness that and broadcast over many frequencies simultaneously. So like a big generator like you crank. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they would actually modulate, you know, on and off and send telegraph that way. Now, a voice takes a bit more doing. You've got to um, pick a, a, a radio wave and put something on top of it or in the wave. You mod, you're changing it to capture that audio signal, your voice. So, uh, I, I have a friend of mine who, um, who's, who's also a ham radio buff, and he, he sends me uh, messages from his phone, and at the end of this, his phone messages, he always says, sent via a radio. Yes, my cell phone is a radio. <laughs> so, well, they're so much more sophisticated now. A little bit, but you can draw a line, though, from those uh, spark transmissions, from, from just sparks going through the air and making noise, essentially. Uh, to uh, smartphones. Well, the Spark has a wide range of uh, RF radio frequency uh, emissions coming out of it, and it was really covering the, the wide band. Like, but if you had somebody running a Spark gap transmitter today, mm -hmm. it would basically block out all the AM band just about because it was in that same range that like lightning hits. Okay, sure. lightning is a similar event. So think about it almost being like, you know, lightning being hit to make ones and zeros, and they were sending telegraph information that way. So it would wipe out, like you said, all of the AM stations, including the one that the folks are listening to right now, possibly, AM 81, WEDO. Our guest this morning is Chris Wells. He's the president of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. They are having their 11th annual Radio Fest this Sunday, May 3rd at the Center Stage Banquet Hall in Manaka. Uh, for more information, go to their website, pitantiqueradios.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Chris, let's talk a little bit about um, the uh, radios that uh, were, were turned out here at Westinghouse in the Turtle Creek Valley and uh, how the technology kind of progressed, okay? Great. You're listening to Radio 81 WEDO and TubeCityOnline.com. Stay tuned. <laughs> City Online has reached a critical point in our history where we need to raise money from the public to continue providing information both online and on the radio. If you can help by making a donation, we would very much appreciate it. Go to our website, TubeCityOnline.com, and click the Donate button. And thanks for supporting independent media in the Monioc area. And you're back here on Radio 81, WEDO, and TubeCityOnline.com. Our guest this morning is Chris Wells. He's the president of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. They are having a show this Sunday at the Center Stage Banquet Hall up in Manaka. Uh, for more information, PittAntiqueRadios.org. Is there a phone number that people can call if they maybe aren't totally Internet savvy? Well, okay. They could call me, 724-942-1113. Okay. Um, 724-942-1113. You are down in the Washington County area? Right. I live in Peters Township area. And we have a lot of listeners down in the, the Washington County area for WEDO. So let's go back to uh, a guy by the name of Frank Conrad, who, who uh, like you, was an electrical engineer and, like you at one time, uh, worked for Westinghouse. And he, in his garage in, in Wilkinsburg, uh, Pennsylvania, not too far from uh, where the radio station is, had a it was had a ham radio station and he brought home from or brought to home transmitting equipment from work and thought you know I think I'll just set this up in the garage and experiment with it 
and he started actually this idea of broadcasting. Now, there were some other people doing similar things around the country, but he actually was taking uh, recordings, uh, his daughter playing the piano, and he was playing this out to the public. And there were people who were hobbyists that were listening to Ship to Shore. You know, we've got all the barges going up and down the sure. rivers here. And they were listening to that sort of thing, and suddenly, hey, there's music. There's music. And, and my understanding also is that Frank Conrad, and this is about 1919, so this is right after World War I, actually. And my understanding is he also then uh, borrowed phonograph records, Victrola records, we, they would call them back then, and, and played some Victrola records on the air. And he started getting feedback from people that would come visit him, like, this is wonderful. We like what you're doing. Do more. How about this? How about that? <laughs> and he had such feedback that he took it back to his management in Westinghouse and said, look, this... This is an interesting idea, the idea of broadcasting out to people. Boy, we ought to do something with that. People might actually want to listen to, to what other people are talking about and what they're saying. And, and my understanding is that um, in, in 1920, then, in June of that year, uh, a lot of people will remember Horns, a uh, department store in Pittsburgh, Joseph Horn Company. They started selling pre-made radio sets. These little crystal sets and then a one-tube, and I think, what, an Areola Jr. was the crystal one and the senior was the tube set and yeah sold them right out of the stores here in Pittsburgh uh, just to start off this new craze of broadcasting what did, what did you what did you hear I mean you mentioned that that in 1919 1920 this was you called it ship to shore radio or was there was just very basic uh, uh, discussions of uh, I'm arriving in port I'm uh, it really it was limited, but it was this special thing. It was very curious to everyone, and so they wanted to listen on, listen in on what's going on. It, it, it was a little bit like, um, I, I, I suspect, people 50 years later when uh, CB radio became a craze, and they, they kind of wanted to hear the trucks and stuff go around. Exactly. Okay, or, the, or scanners. They wanted to hear the police or their fire band on their scanners. That's surprising to people because they, they, they think, well, no, the idea of broadcasting, that must have been from the very beginning. No, it was just a, a commercial tool to coordinate things like boats and, uh, and other vehicles and other town-to-town uh, uh, -town type telegraph to send messages point to point was really how they were using it, not broadcasting out in a big sphere. Not entertainment, in other words. It was, I, it was strictly for commercial purposes, for, for the businesses to talk to one another. Uh, our, our guest this morning, Chris Wells from the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. Their radio fest is this Sunday, May 3rd, uh, up in Manaka, PA. That's in Buffin Beaver County near the Beaver Valley Mall. For information, pittantiqueradios.org. And so, so Frank Conrad, this guy from Wilkinsburg, he's got a ham radio station and he's, his daughter is playing the piano over it and he's playing records and uh, people are starting to notice, like you said, they're coming to his house in Wilkinsburg and saying, hey, we want to see how you're doing this. Joseph Horn Department Store starts selling the radios. And so what happens in November of 1920? That was, a, that was an election year. I think there was a, an event where they actually used some Westinghouse radios to put them around the country and they broadcast an election, I think. There's they broadcast the, Hart, like the, the, the Harding-Cox election, uh, the pre election of President Warren G. Harding. And that was supposedly the first official start of commercial radio broadcasting. Now, as you alluded to, there is some dispute over whether or not 
that was the first station. Other people were doing similar things, but uh, that supposedly was the first commercial broadcasting station uh, here in Pittsburgh, out of East Pittsburgh, actually, down there underneath what is now the George Westinghouse Bridge. Westinghouse is really in, uh, into it uh, through the, uh, the years that followed, and it turned out to be one of their biggest businesses, and that's what really was what left the Westinghouse as it came apart in the, the 90s and was sold off in various sorts. Is, is CBS Radio, <laughs> which yeah. talking with Chris Wells from the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. So what did these, er, the early radios you mentioned were crystal sets, and a lot of us probably in, in high school or maybe in grade school, we made a, a crystal set. You need a little detector and you need a, a what they call a whisker to... to yeah, that was the one-way valve. That was the, the item that would actually pick the audio signal that's riding on the radio wave off and so that you would hear just it. And uh, that was the issue. In the beginning, they didn't have a very good way of doing that. So we had this sort of primitive idea of this little phosphor bronze whisker hitting a lead crystal to create that valve. But then later, um, we started coming up with uh, tubes as that solution. And right around 1912 to 1916 was invented somewhere in that. They started using the tube just for the detection purpose. They didn't know how to make it into an amplifier. They came in about, I think, 1916. After 1920, then, people start to see that, hey, they can use this radio for more than just sending telegram messages or talking from shore to the ships. They can use it to entertain people. People will buy a radio and sit at home and, and listen to entertainment. And a big thing, advertising, too, with that, of course. <laughs> advertising, too. One of the first uh, radio stations, and, and this, I don't expect you to know this, but one of the first 100 uh, radio stations in the United States was in McKeesport. Uh, it was operated corner of Shaw Avenue and Jenny Lynn Street by the K&L Electric Company. They sold a uh, radio part. A man by the name of Hunter Lohman uh, ran the radio station from 1922 until 1925. Now, my, my understanding, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that all the radio stations were on the same frequency at that point in those early 1920s eras. I, I, I imagine that they weren't very selective about it. I don't really <laughs> remember, I don't know, when the FCC first started controlling bandwidths, you know, what different stations could use. But you typically would broadcast in a particular frequency, and yes, you could have someone with the same design not too far away doing the same thing, and at some point when they got strong enough, of course, they started interfering. We're talking with Chris Wells from the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. The 11th annual Tri-State Radio Fest is this Sunday. It's in Manaka, up in Beaver County. You can find out more information at Pitt antiqueradios.org. We're going to take one more 30-second break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the types of radios that people might see if they, they come out on this, this coming Sunday, okay? Great. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio 81, WEDO, and TubeCityOnline.com. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview, or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. And we're back here on Radio 81, WEDO, and TubeCityOnline.com for a final few with Chris Wells from the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. I understand that something called the Buckeye Antique Radio and Phonograph Club is also uh, helping out with this event? Yeah, there are partners in this event. Uh, they're from the Akron, Cleveland area. Okay. And so uh, we do the event uh, near the border of uh, with Ohio to help out bring th those people into the event, along with those from uh, Pittsburgh area and beyond. We have people coming from Michigan, New York, uh, West Virginia, uh, Massachusetts, everything. 
I imagine that, that you guys probably get a lot of emails and, and phone calls from people who find an old radio in the attic or in the basement or this was grandma's or grandpa's radio and what is it worth? So, so let me ask you, since, uh, since a lot of people probably have that question, how, how do we know if, <laughs> if, if an old radio is worth saving well, and what do we know if, how do we know what it's worth? Basically eBay. Okay. If you go on eBay, search on antique radios uh, or for the name of the radio you have and then sort them according to what you know, is highest, you can get an idea, but you really want to look at the auctions that have closed. Uh-huh, to see so what they actually sold for. Someone pay for it, because there's a lot of people trolling and asking big money for things that aren't real. Probably the radios that are worth money are the ones that have all the pieces there and are not broken in any way and um, are, haven't been modified. Someone hasn't painted it or something like that. Well, almost all radios had to have some repairs, because sure. they won't keep on working all these years. Think about how old some of these are from the 20s and 30s to still be working today. So they had to have someone work on, but yeah, the condition is a big issue. But style, you know, collectability, people people are looking for something that has a look, that takes them to some place that in history that, that they – so there are some duds, you know, in any <laughs> hobby, collecting cars or whatever. There's cars that people don't want. There are radios people don't want. And I was just suggesting, like, on eBay you can get a – an idea. Uh, I, I suppose the first thing that people want to do if they find an old radio is is either stick batteries in it or, or plug it in right, right away. They should, want to plug it in. They want. Hey, does it work? But the problem should they do that? They, if you really run the risk of ruining it, it does need to be gone over. There are things called filter caps that uh -huh. short out, and if you plug it in, it's going to destroy the transformer, the main part of the power supply that feeds the whole radio. And there are ways of, like, slowly bringing the voltage up with a variable auto transformer to kind of try to reform those capacitors, but it's a bad idea to plug them in straight up. You, you, you probably lost a lot of people right around filter cap or, or auto transformer. Uh, are, there, are there people who fix stuff like this if, if, you have a, if you find an old radio and you want to get it fixed sure. up? Sure. We've got, you know, a link section on our webpage, and uh, Phil's TV in town, he, he still repairs. There's some audio shops up in the North Hills I don't know the name of, and there's mm -hmm. a, a number of individuals that will do it if you want to email our club, we can uh, try to hook you up. Try to hook you, put, match you with, with someone who's willing to work on, a, on an old-time radio like this. Some of them are a lot of work because they use things like old rubber wire that dries out. Can you imagine underneath that chassis, every single wire has to be replaced? Sure. Well, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it, it is indeed. Uh, Chris Wells is our guest this morning. He's the president of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. Their 11th annual Radio Fest is this Sunday at the Center Stage Banquet Hall in Manaka, PA. That's up in Beaver County uh, near the Beaver Valley Mall. PittAntiqueRadios.org. What do people, you said some of the radios are duds and some of them are, are collectible. What um, different eras, what do people look for from like the 1940s radios and the 1950s well, radios? Okay, so just like uh, Bakelite became rather collectible in jewelry and a variety of areas. Okay, that's a kind of like a heavy plastic. It's one of the early, one of the first plastics, right? Right, and some of it was just sort of a brown, a mottled brown, but they actually did some in colors. And there was one company, the Catalan Company, that made a translucent sort of marble like uh, Bakelite. And it's the same material that you'd see in the old women's jewelry that was that early plastic for like a wristband or something like that. Or even tortoise shell like eyeglass frames. Uh, right. Yeah. But this Catalan Bakelite, 
is really highly sought after by collectors. And back in the day, they were actually kind of a glitzy radio, sort of the cheaper ones. But today, if it's in good condition and the right colors, they can really go for thousands of dollars. You mentioned uh, that th at this show this year, you're, you're showcasing the, the Atwater Kent radio, which I believe was made in Philadelphia? Yeah, it's a, they're really beautiful radios. And the thing is, is before the Depression, there were 300 or so manufacturers of radios. And through the Depression, at the end of it, only about 33 were left. Well, Atwater Kent put a little bit more money into their sets and you know, a little bit more style, but cash was king, and it was really competitive. And they lasted, I think, to about 1934. What are some of the old-time brand names that people would look for? I, I mentioned to you off the air that uh, the radios that I collect, because I'm in Pittsburgh and I'm from McKeesport, are Westinghouse radios, sure. Pittsburgh area. But what are some of the brand names people look for in their old radios? This is a big one, and they have Zenith? big showy dials. Okay. So they're very attractive to collectors. Philco. Okay. Um, Atwater Kent, it would be up to about 34 or so. But after that, you know, General Electric, RCA, Westinghouse, um... You know, there's, there's the Trolla and seeing uh, Emerson yeah. would be a, a good name. In the, in, the 19, in the 1950s and 60s, we start to see the transistors coming in. Do people collect the transistor radios, too? Oh, certainly. And, and think about your connection to your childhood. Uh, I'm 60, and I, I had that little transistor radio that I uh, hit underneath the covers when I was supposed to be in bed. And... and <laughs> I found that radio, not the same one, but, you know, the same model. And and it really, I, I love it. I just, you know, opening up the back and looking at all the little parts inside, and the, even the smell of it takes me back to being 10 years old again. I, I imagine that when the Japanese companies came in in the 1960s, that... The Japanese radios, sure, like Toshiba radios from, like, uh, Sony. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the first transistor radio would be 1954, the TR1 by... The Regency, Regency Electronics, yeah. And... and uh, everything from then on was is pretty collectible, but even some they had some small tube portables that are somewhat collectible. But the transistors of the late and mid fifties into the early sixties, that's a real collectible area, and including all these Japanese ones. Do, do people a lot of what we had as kids? We're we're running out of time. Do people collect the the radios that maybe were given away as as giveaways that are shaped like a motor oil can or they're shaped like a Coca Cola bottle? Oh, or something? The, the novelty ones. Yeah. Oh, sure. And and those go all the way back into the 30s. Oh, do they? Yeah, there are big giant cigarette cases that look like <laughs> a, that are really a radio. Lamps that are really radios. It, 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 there's all kinds of novelties angles to that for sure. Whiskey bottles. Uh, very very interesting. So I can understand why someone would enjoy uh, collecting radios. Is it expensive to to get into the hobby? No, I mean, you could go to flea markets and pick up things for modest amounts. It's just as your tastes evolve and you want something that's different and you haven't seen before, you might have to pay more. And then getting it fixed, if you're not inclined to that part of the hobby, you have to go and get find somebody to help you, right? Back when I was first getting into the hobby, I, I went to the Carnegie Library in, in Pittsburgh. They had, a, I think they still do, a science and technology room, and I was able to find some, some books on how to fix up old radios. I imagine people go to the Internet now. You know, YouTube has some uh, all kinds of videos on how someone tackled a, a, a particular radio issue. And, yes, we, as a club, actually have a radio clinic. We've done it 
typically twice a year, and we invite people to bring their radio, and we'll give a go at finding out what's wrong with it, and perhaps we can repair it or at least give some advice. We are just about out of time. Uh, Chris Wells, give me a 30-second or 60-second commercial here for the, for the show uh, this Sunday. Well, you'll see things here at the Tri-State Radio Fest that you probably aren't going to see uh, just going to flea markets. You know, we've all been hunting for these items, and we've found them, and they're going to be there at our event. So you can go and find that memory from your childhood, from the past, and see things that, you, that have been locked away in people's attics and closets for the longest time. And, you know, come take a look. Come take a look at what's here at our Tri-State Radio Fest out in Manaka. That is at the Center Stage Banquet Hall, which is near the Beaver Valley Mall. For more information, go to pitantiqueradios.org, which will also tell you about the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society. If you need a little bit more help, uh, Chris says you can call him at 724-942-1113. Our guest this morning on Radio 81 WEDO and TubeCityOnline.com is Chris Wells. He was the president, or he is the president, of the Pittsburgh Antique Radio Society, and we've been talking about the society, which meets in Brentwood. Uh, not too far from McKeesport and this weekend's Tri-State Radio Fest. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, Jason. And thank you all for listening here through Radio 81, WEDO, and TubeCityOnline.com. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright 2015, Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated or WEDO Radio 810 Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at TubeCityOnline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline.